Good to be back. Yeah. You know, the Lord tells us that He inhabits the praises of His people. He's been pretty happy today. <laughs> He's inhabiting our midst. That means His presence. The word inhabit means that His, his presence is dwelling among us as we praise and exalt Him. So, it's not that we conjure up His presence, but rather that we simply release the manifestation of His presence, which is already here. Many years ago, in Burkina Faso, which is West Africa, I was privileged to minister to one of my larger audiences. I'm very happy as I tell leaders when I go to other countries, you know, give me 10, 15, 20 hungry-hearted leaders and I'll come. But on this occasion, I was not only having pastors' conferences during the day, but the church service that gathered at night had something like 2,000 people. And so I was sitting back in a little room. This, this place was huge. It had a big, what we call a campus. And it was the largest church in Burkina Faso. And on this campus, there were outbuildings, and I was in one of those in the administrative building. And I was sitting there praying and meditating on the Lord, and um, I was listening to my old cassette songs, some of which were similar to what we heard today. <laughs> Brings me back. But uh, as I was as I was listening to this song the spirit began to compel me to worship and so I'm just singing along with the song and the Lord said well this is good and I want you to sing this to the audience to this big crowd and I said wow Lord you know I've never sung a solo and except back when I was in the first and second grade <laughs> and that was before I knew enough to know that I wasn't really a singer as I would be considered and so I'm not a public singer but you know if you say so okay Lord so but I'll have to have a confirmation of this obviously and so if if I have this strong urging at the end of the service then I'll sing so I um I took the little cassette and I gave it to the person in charge and I said, now look, if I give you the sign, <laughs> thumbs up, you know, then you put on that music and I'll begin to sing. So the service was going really, really well. I mean, the Lord was wonderfully ministering and there was a sweet, sweet spirit in this place kind of thing and it was beautiful. And then I finished. But before I closed in prayer, I had this impression, <laughs> you know, and I gave him the sign and began not just to sing, but I began from the heart to worship. The Lord wants us to sing from our heart and to worship him in spirit and in truth. He wants us to just focus on him. It's not about performing for someone. It's about exalting the one and only one, the Lord Almighty. And so I began to do that. Now, as I was just worshiping the hymn and lost in him, lost in his love and his presence, just engulfed in him, consumed by him, little did I know, but an atmosphere of God's presence enveloped us as a people, enveloped the campus, spilled over out into the street where the people were. And suddenly the administrator who had gone to take care of the finances of the offering 
was so overwhelmed by the Lord that he got up and said, I must go and see what's happening. And so he left his, his outbuilding and he came over to our location, which only seated a thousand, but there were another 500 on either side outside the building. So it was packed and overpacked. So he came and he's caught up in the presence of the Lord. Then there were two women that were doing something in one of the offices in one of the other buildings. And suddenly one of them says, I can see again. My sight is perfect. She said, my one eye, I was blind in, but now I see. And the other one said, it's the Lord. The Lord is present. And so they rushed to where we were gathering. A young man walking down the street had this strange compulsion. There's something over here that's different than usual. He heard the singing, but more than that, he sensed the presence of the Lord and was drawn in whereby he met the Lord. This is the corporate manifestation of the Lord's presence. But the beauty of the Lord is he's not only here at all times, but he's in here for those of us who receive him. It is about his presence, to be sure. All right, let's pray, then I'm going to share scripture. Lord, thank you for your wonderful words of life. Praise you, Lord, that you, the Lord Jesus Christ, are mighty in our midst. That you, the Lord Jesus Christ, are the Almighty among us. That you, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is the one who is the God of all flesh, and nothing is impossible for you. Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. In Acts, in chapter 3, Peter had seen an amazing manifestation of the Lord's presence. And a man had been healed. But then... Once the Lord manifested his presence in such an awesome way, he got the attention of those that were gathered around, and so he began to speak. Acts 3 and verse 19. And he said, Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ. Now he was talking, I guess, primarily to the Jewish people gathered, but certainly there were Gentiles among them and all that. And of course there were those who were disciples of Christ and truly believers. But nonetheless, the message rings true to all of us this day. Um, Mike made reference to the word revival. And certainly there's an aspect of revival that we know and understand. And then he went on to talk about some of the other uh, ways that uh, he was viewing this. And in reality, it is an awareness or a realization of his presence, but it comes when we have a spiritual awakening. So when, when, when Peter here is addressing the crowd... There is a sense in which repent means simply a change of thinking. Let's get a new awareness. Lord, you are here. Once in South Georgia, 
as I was praying and waiting and while the singing was going on beautiful worship and then this lady stood that I'd never heard before and she sang a song I had never heard and the song was simple and yet the anointing was awesome the presence of God began to consume us and she began to sing he is here hallelujah he is here amen and on and on she sang And suddenly a consciousness of the Lord's presence, so vivid, so intense, I stood in awe of him. I was overwhelmed in his presence. And I just found myself, my head bowing down. I bow before you, Lord, in a sense in reverence to and an acknowledgement of his presence. Not like I was trying to. I was compelled to. My whole being was just being drawn into a, a place of contrition and exaltation at the same time. It was so intense You know, the scripture says there was a time when the Lord's presence came and the people could not stand before his presence. It was so intense I could not stand up to preach. And there was a a fellow minister with me there and and I turned to him and I I said, you know, I, I can't get up. I am stunned by the Lord's presence. I said, do you have a word you could share? And he paused for a moment. And then he sensed it was God for him. And he said, yes, okay. And he stood up and shared what God had put on his heart. These are the times of refreshing. And we need at times to be refreshed. That is, we need a fresh awareness of the presence and power of the Lord who is here. Not only among us corporately, for for sure he promises when we gather together in his name, and we have done that, that he will be among us. But he is here in us from the moment I say I do. From the moment you say I do, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, he is here. He enters into us to take up residence within us that he might abide in us. His indwelling presence in us. He is here. He is here. So to repent simply means, Lord, you know, I love the song, open my eyes, Lord. Wow. Spiritual awakening is for us to wake up to the spirit realm because we live so much in this tangible thing called earth, planet earth, with physical bodies, with physical problems, with aches and pains and all the stuff of life that goes on constantly that if we're not careful, we'll be consumed with the stuff and miss the one who makes the difference in the stuff. <laughs> That's the Lord. That's the presence of the Lord. So we need to be spiritually awakened so that we come back to a God consciousness, a Christ consciousness. And we need to start being able to see through all the things around us and all the things happening to us to the one who is in our midst, mighty in our midst. Mighty in what sense? To show himself strong on your behalf. Yes. To, to demonstrate his strength, his presence, and his power in your life. So I'll tell you kind of a crazy story. It's, it's crazy and, and, and it's, it's easy to say now, but going through it there was a fire and yet there was an amazing peace. So I'm working around my house and getting it all in order because 
um, we're, Lord willing, going to move closer to y'all. We're going to move to Cumming, which is about halfway from where we are now, which is over in Snellville. So anyway, so we're getting our house ready, working on our house and all that. Well, I've just been going and going and going. It seemed like it's been for days. I'd say at least 80 days, almost every day, some little something is in the house that I need to fix. So I'm carrying around about a three-fourths of a quart of paint in one hand, the paintbrush in the other, and I'm touching up all these kind of things here. You know, there's this and that. And I'm touching it up and redoing the whatever. And, but, I mean, the craziest fluke, I'm just going from one window to another, and suddenly... I just, the strength of my hand just, and the next thing you know, the can on the carpet, <laughs> on the curtain, on the, the table by the window, on the dining room table, on the chairs, on the, on the server, and, I, and up on the edge of the wall. Well, if that isn't a glory hallelujah moment, what is? So, you know, but it was an amazing thing. It was about as bad as it gets. At the moment, there's always another place in time I can tell you about that was probably worse. But in the moment, it was it was bad, and yet there was this amazing calm, and just this focused. Roll up your sleeves, get in there, and get going. But of course, I knew I needed my help meet. And that's why they call her a help meet, you know, because <laughs> she meets my needs when I got a need and I needed help. So it's like, Lou, Lou, Lou. <laughs> so she comes a running, you know, and she came from upstairs down. And, and so she sees and she just jumps right in. It's like, oh, no, what did you do? No, she didn't. Why did you do that? No, it was just, let's get it done. And so the Lord showed us, and you know, every speck and spot of that got cleaned up. It's amazing. That paint that was all soaked in the carpet, and the Lord showed us how to get the carpet, and she went and got a carpet shampooer thing, and we kept on day and night, seemed like, but we got it out. We got it out, and we got it cleaned up. And there was this perfect peace because, you see, that is the Lord's presence. That is the Lord's presence manifesting. The word manifest means, of course, as you probably know, it means to make known. So he was just making his presence known in a very tangible, practical, personal way. See, he was showing himself strong in our behalf by guiding us, keeping us in perfect peace because our mind was fixed on him. Our heart was focused on him. We weren't looking at the problem bemoaning the circumstance. We were looking at the source and exalting and praising him in the pain of the problem. It didn't instantly go away, but he showed us how to resolve it. And he worked us through it. And we came out the other side without the smell of paint. <laughs> Just had to throw that in. You know, this is God, though. I'm trying to tell you about the presence of the Lord and how he wants to manifest his presence in us. You see, spiritual awakening starts right in here with you and me. Yeah, we enjoy the moments of corporate manifestation. But the spiritual awakening that occurs within us results in a continuous manifestation of presence. His presence. Unleashing His power. You know, the first time, and uh, the first time the word presence is mentioned, at least according to my research, is, uh, is in the book of Genesis in chapter 3. Or chapter 4. Let me see. I'll get clear here in a minute. Um, chapter 3. Yeah, yeah. Chapter 3. Genesis 3. 
I got a lot of scriptures for y'all, but I don't know if we're going to get to them or not. But uh, we're going to get to where we go. So, in uh, in Genesis three, and we see um, we see in verse eight. Now, Adam and, and Eve have already both done the deed. I mean, Eve first, then Adam followed suit, and they both ate of the forbidden fruit. Okay, so verse eight. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So they heard his voice. They heard him walking. So they heard his steps. That's what they're telling us. So they're hearing the Lord and they're hearing him walking. Now, we don't need to get bogged down on what all that means, except that it does mean the Lord's presence is now manifesting in their midst. They're aware of his presence. And so immediately their thought is, uh oh. We're in trouble. You see, they've stepped out of light into darkness, and darkness knows immediately you've got a problem. And so they knew. And so so then it says here in verse 8, they heard the voice, okay, he was walking, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Okay, so now here's what happens in life. <laughs> the Lord is present everywhere. So we might... We might lose sight of his presence. I mean, we might hide from his presence. Like, I can get back here and I can't see you, but be assured, he can still see you. (laughs) So I I might hide behind the trees where I can't see the Lord, okay? But he still sees me. His presence hasn't gone anywhere. You see, just because he's not present, that is tangibly, visibly, audibly, doesn't mean he's not present. So in Psalm 139 and verse 7, the psalmist says, now wait a minute. Uh, I'm trying to get away from God, or I'm trying to find God, but here's the deal. Where can I go from His presence? Well, where can I go from His presence? Where can I go from His Spirit? So he ties the two together. See, Spirit and presence are intertwined because God is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is... See, there's his presence. Okay, so so he says, then he goes on and tells us for the next two or three verses, well, if I go the heights of heaven, he's there. If I go to the depths of hell, he's there. He says, everywhere I go, he's there. Even the darkness can't hide from him because he's light and there is no darkness in him. So it's like he's everywhere. Uh Uh-huh. So we know in this realm of presence that he is omnipresent, which means present here, there, and everywhere at all times. At the same time. So we have an awareness of the presence of the Lord. And yet, we sometimes are hidden from his presence. Now, that goes to what Paul says when he tells us, don't quench the spirit. So for you and I who have received Christ, who have the indwelling presence of the spirit of God in us, we, yes, at times lose sight of and can in fact quench the spirit so that the presence which is in us is no longer evident to us. It's no longer even available to us, as it were. Not that he's gone, but that we have blinded ourselves and are now oblivious to his presence because we're caught up in the stuff. We're, We're wrapped up in the trappings of our own humanity and flesh quenches spirit. Flesh quenches spirit. So when we operate in the energy of our flesh, trying to figure it out by the natural mind, operate in the energy of our flesh, 
because we don't feel him, we think he's gone. When we operate the energy of our flesh, trying to make it happen by force, by the things that we can conjure up, like Mike's saying, let's pray him down or, or let's, you know, do something or whatever. That Anyway, but we're trying in our efforts of our flesh but the flesh although good in and of itself is good for nothing when it comes to eternal things for kingdom work yeah God created the flesh and he said of man in the flesh it is good but it was good for what? to be a container of the life of God to be indwelt by the Spirit of God so that we might be walking around as manifestations of the presence and power of God and that we might together with Him, cooperate with Him to enjoy the life that He designed for us to live. But we're missing out because we're caught up in trying to make things happen and get what we think we need and want instead of just letting Him move through us. For in Him we live and move and have our being not just physically, But the greater intent is that we live and move and have our being in Him spiritually. You see, when we're we're not moving in Him as His Spirit leads, when we're not drawing our life from Him by the Spirit, then although that life is in us and available to us, we're not accessing it because we need at times to be awakened, spiritually awakened, and be brought back to that simplicity that Paul says, which is in Christ Himself. In Christ, well, he's in you. The hope of glory, if you've received him. So this is what God wants to do, is to manifest his presence. So we see this evidence of presence is being mentioned. So there is the presence of God, at times making his presence known to man. Again, I'm saying he's present there, but they're trying to hide from him. But he's still there, and he still sees them and knows all about them and is reaching out to them. This is the beauty of his presence. He wants us to enter into and experience his presence and power. He wants us to enter into and partake of the life of his presence. So he reaches out to Adam and Eve in the midst of of their situation, in the midst of their sin. He goes to them. He's not going to them to put them down. He's going to them to pick them up and to restore. He's a God of restoration, not a God of destruction. He's not here to destroy you. He's here to make you whole. Now, a pastor friend of mine, he, he was talking to me on the phone. I was doing some, some counseling, consulting, discipling, whatever. And um, he said, well, he said, I thought about our last conversation. And you said some pretty tough things to me, but I realized you're my friend. And so you're not here to destroy me. And I said, well, that's true. But I am here under the Lord's leading to destroy your flesh. You know, so if you've got some fleshly misconceptions about who he is and what he does, if you've got some uh, fleshly attitudes or if you're engaged in fleshly efforts to try to do for him or be like him, then you can be sure I'm going I'm to bring that up to you. Now, not to find fault with you, but to just show you that uh, you need to change your thinking. And change of thinking always, if it's done by the Spirit, results in a change of action. So that means suddenly your ways are changed and you're no longer operating according to man's ways based on what you can do by your talent and ability, but God's ways based on what He can do by His presence and power in you.
through Christ. So, um, this is the presence. You know, if we look just a couple of chapters over, well, one chapter actually, Genesis 4, in verse 16, and... Uh, in Genesis 4.16, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Again, the point here is, the Lord had appeared to Cain. He, he made himself known to Cain. He manifested his presence to Cain in a way where he could communicate with him and make him aware of some things. And then it says the Lord went out from the presence of the Lord. Doesn't mean the Lord was no longer present. But his manifest presence was no longer available or accessible to communicate to and to make himself known to Cain in a sense that he was aware of him. Wouldn't mean it wasn't there. So what am I trying to get you to see? I'm trying to get you to see that while God is present here, there, and everywhere, his presence is not always evident to us and available to us. Now it can be and should be, but again I'm, I'm working around to what that's all about. But let's, let's look at the corporate manifestation of the Lord's presence. Uh, just briefly, Exodus 40, 34, and 35. Um, now there's some interesting things. I think so often we get bogged down with a lot of the minutia of the Old Testament and we try to reconstruct with, with finite detail things that really are, are just pictures and, and uh, signposts to the life that is ours in Christ in the New Testament and through the New Covenant. But uh, nonetheless, Exodus 40, um, verses 34 and 5. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting. I I love that phrase. The tabernacle was the place of meeting. It it was just a huge tent. You know, in the old days, we had what we call tent meetings. You know, places where we met with the Lord under this big tent. So, God led Moses to construct this tent where the people could gather to meet with him, where he could make his presence known to them. So it was a gathering place. And so the cloud, this was the initial encounter of God's presence uh, for them corporately. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, here's what I want to tie in for you. The manifest presence of God is the glory of God. So when that, glo- when that glory covered, they call it in the Hebrew, Shekinah. That's our way of saying it, Shekinah. And the word Shekinah just simply means the glory. Yes. It's the presence of God manifesting. And it's glorious. It's glorious. It's a wonder to behold. It's awesome. Because that's who he is. So this presence was so strong. And so intense and so overpowering. Well, it says Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting. Wow, now see, that's corporate presence. And that's manifest presence of the Lord. He wasn't able. Why? It was too much for him. He was stunned in the Lord's presence, like I was talking about. Um, One time in in Pennsylvania, there was a, 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 a present manifestation of God and his corporate manifestation and 
and his presence became so strong and, and suddenly without thinking about it, before we knew it, we all just went up to the front and we're on our knees and some that got there first were up by the altar, we call it, which is just a place where we get up at the front where it's a little higher than other places because it's not the real altar and that's in our heart as a matter of fact, but anyhow. So we're up there and, and suddenly I'm, I'm kind of on my knees and the next thing you know, it's like this huge hand. I mean like the whole size of my back and it just gently but firmly brought me down on my face. So I'm on my face before the Lord. <laughs> it was clear to me, this is the Lord. The hand of the Lord is upon you. <laughs> Took on a whole new meaning to me. It's like, whoa, this is God. We couldn't stand before His presence. Now those times are precious. And they're special. But, but let's don't think we've got to have that to have this. I'm trying to bring you back to a personal spiritual awakening where you enter in and walk in the presence of the Lord so that you live in His presence. And living in His presence means when that paint gets poured everywhere, you don't crumble and fumble and fall and collapse. I mean, it's like there's a knowing that comes from the presence of the Lord that's very personal and practical and deals with the life situation at hand at hand. There's a knowing of that nature, of the present. And it's very, very relevant to you as an individual. You see, he's not a God detached from us, far removed from us. He's a present help in time of our need. And that means he is present tense to make a difference in your life. Not as a helper who just comes to bail you out of a momentary crisis, but as the one who is the sustainer, the source, the strength, the substance of your life. That's who he is. Present help. He's present at every moment of your life to deal with every situation in your life. That's the ministry of God's presence in you and to you. And so here's this presence. So one time when Mike and I were in the Philippines, we were um, <laughs> riding around this old worn out. I mean, my car has got some miles and it's got 19 years, almost 20 years. Okay. But our, my friend's car, I don't know that it was that old, but it sure was worn out and it looked beat up and it didn't run very good. We, we spent several times pushing the car and going to get help to get it repaired. And so when Mike and I were standing out there in the scorching heat and we're looking at each other and I'm saying, man, he needs another car. And Mike's going, I agree. <laughs> and that's more or less how I remember. This is my story, Mike. You tell your own. So, so then we, we prayed. I said, well, Lord, we're trusting you for, for Ben a car. Ben's the man's name. He was the head of this ministry to the, 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 the poor churches and the poverty areas of the Philippines. We go to the highways and byways most of the time in small groups and so people that don't have all the rich Americans and the rich Europeans to fund their work we go help them so we, we were helping Ben and, and so he came over and, he, and then he, he pops up and says you know he says I've been thinking I need a new car and he said I've been praying for one I said well we're praying too and he said oh good because I have just the one in mind and we said what <laughs> and he says yeah he says when we get this one fixed and when we get back from this next assignment he said I want to take you by and show you the car I'm, I'm thinking about it. this is the one that God put on my heart so we, we go along you know the next day and we're, we drive and we go up and we come pull up to the new showroom I, I think it was Mitsubishi and we pulled up there 
and it's like this is the new car lot you know and so then we go in and there on the showroom floor is this beautiful white four-door automobile and so I, you know so my first impression is I'm going to believe God with my friend for a car. Now, then this thought comes. Now, wait a minute, Lord. The only time I had a new car was when I was back young before I was going to get married and didn't know the fullness of the Spirit and the leading of the Lord. And so I bought a new car. And since then, I haven't even had that luxury. And I live in America. And this guy is a Filipino. And he wants a new car. And the Lord said, yeah, because he needs a new car. I said, okay, then. Thank you, Lord. And it's okay. I'm all for this, you know. It, I just had to get clarification. So, you know, you, you got to work through the stuff. You know, your mind gets these rambling thoughts because obviously uh, we can get bombarded by the lie of the enemy. So we got to sort out the lie from the truth and then believe the truth. So the truth was God wanted him to have a car. So when he began to talk to us, Mike and I and the other pastor friend were listening. And, and I could tell he had faith to believe that this was his car. So I said, well, I'm seeing God in this. So I said, hey, let's just gather around the car. <laughs> now here we are in the showroom, salespeople and the owner and everybody's standing around. And I said, we're going to lay hands on the car. Now, this is just something I did. I mean, I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm just saying this is what God led me to do. So I said, let's just put our hands on this car and we're going to pray. And we're going to receive this car by faith for you and for your ministry. This is not just some luxury item. This guy wants to look around and, and drive around in and act like he's cool because he's got a new car. No, this is to transport the men of God to do the work of God. And the women too if they want to come along. So we, 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 uh, we, we prayed. I'm telling you, we were there about two more weeks. And by the end of our time, he had the automobile paid for. $17,000. Now, we only had maybe 100 bucks is all I had. I don't know how much Mike gave him, but it wasn't a whole lot. We didn't give him a lot because we didn't have a lot. But he had it. Someday I'll tell you how he got it. Anyway, the Lord provided for my friend. The point is, the presence of God was manifest in the crisis. So a crisis is not in itself a problem. It's simply an opportunity for God to show you who he is and what he can do. So when the crisis occurred and the car had shut down and it was obviously at the end of the end and they passed it up a little bit to get us back home, but this thing isn't going to last much longer. But it clued us in that God's going to provide. And he had on his heart what it was going to be. And we saw God in it, so we trusted God with him for it. And we believe God. This is not just about praying. I'm not talking about just saying, I hope so, maybe so, please, God. This is like, God, you're in this, and we trust you for it, and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're believing God here. And God did it. So the Lord's presence was filling that showroom. <laughs> and the Lord's presence filled that car when we rode around in it. And for several more years, I enjoyed riding around with him in that automobile. And it served the purpose well. Because over there, if you don't have something new, it's going to wear out and break down pretty quick. And there's not a convenient auto parts store on the next corner. I mean, you never know when the next place is going to be to get a part. So you need something dependable. And that was the mule that the Lord sent for him to ride. Um... Now, in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 9, there's a little bit more of a summation of this whole thing of, of the Lord's presence. And, we're, and I'm still tying some thoughts together here about um, the temple and the tabernacle. 
But Second uh, Chronicles 20 and verse 9. And we get a little glimpse into significance of the tabernacle, which later was built by David in what we know as the temple of God, the Old Testament where the temple of God was the focal point of the place of worship it was the it had the the outer court and it had the inner court which was divided between the holy place and the most holy place the holy most holy place we sometimes call the holy of holies now the holy of holies is where what was known as the mercy seat uh, was and that was the focal point of God's presence and he would come once a year and manifest his presence when the priest and only the priest designated by the Lord could enter in for that given moment so this is, this is what's happening here now in uh, Second Chronicles 20 and verse 9 it says if when evil comes upon us as the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine he says now in other words if you've got these problems here's what you do you go and stand before this house. That is, you stand at the house of God, the temple of God. You go and stand at God's temple, and in your presence, then he clarifies, for your name is in this house. So, because this is your place, this is your house, your dwelling place, then this is where you live. That's what they thought. That's their understanding. We know God encompasses everything, but he had chosen to make that the focal point of his manifest presence to his people at that time in history. So this is how it worked. So they, they would gather there at, and stand at the temple, and then it says, then we will cry unto you in our affliction, and you will hear, and you will help. You will hear, and you will come to our rescue. You will hear, and you will meet our need. Okay, now here's the beauty of it. That was a temple built with the hands of man as a focal point of God's presence on the earth to communicate with his people. However, the New Testament tells us, Paul in particular, in Corinthians says, but wait a minute, don't you realize that your body is the temple of God? 1 Corinthians 3. Your body is the temple of God. That is, you were designed to house deity. Paul, as he was speaking uh, to the people in the book of Acts, I think chapter 17, said something like, you know, God doesn't live in a house made with man's hands. That doesn't contain him or confine him. No, he never opted for that as his place of residence. He had something much better in mind. When, 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 when it speaks of Jesus in, uh, in Hebrews, uh, what is it, 12 or something like that, it says sacrifices and offerings you didn't really want. But what you did want was a body. A body you have prepared for me. What did he want? A body. That which he created with his hands. A dwelling place. And that body was the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ the Lord. But now, because Christ entered in once and for all, as the high priest forever and ever to banish our sins, to deliberate us from Satan's stronghold, for we were a slave of the devil, and to, to, to loose us from the chains of death and to release us from that evil nature so that now through the resurrection and the life, we have new life in Christ, resurrection life. We who were sinners are now saints. We who were dead and trespassed and sins are now made alive and become holy in him. Wow, Christ has been made unto you sanctification and righteousness and holiness. Wow, that's him. 
to me, to you, in Christ, in union with Christ. That's what happens. So then, so then here's, here's the shift from the picture we have in the Old Testament of this temple in which we have to go to a place and then through a mediator, the high priest, once a year to make sure that our sins are, they're not removed, but they at least are covered. But in Christ, they're removed. Not only are our sins removed, but the source of sin, Satan and his evil nature is removed from us. So we have this new, beautiful, lovely nature alive in Christ. Wonderful. This is grace. This is God at work on our behalf, in us and through us, available to us. So these people are now realizing, now wait a minute. There's a whole lot more to God than we first understood. So there's that realization that Mike was talking about. We must have a realization of who he is and who we are in him. An awareness of his life in us, his presence in us. And that presence in us is not designed just to be kept inside. Jesus says, take the lid off that thing. Get the basket off and let the light shine. He says, I am the light of the world, so turn me loose. Cut me loose. Let me go. Let me flow. Let me manifest. Let me work. Let me manifest my presence in you and through you. You know, there, in Peter's first message on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came and the presence of God was poured out and such that the presence of God was now made manifest to the people of God, and suddenly they see and know Him by the Spirit, and, and that's very important to be clear about. And that is, when we talk about the presence of the Lord, and I made reference to the fact that God is spirit, we'll never know his presence apart from his spirit. So it's got to be by the spirit that the presence is known. The things of the flesh will never allow you to know and understand the presence of the Lord, his, his life. I had a hard time with that. First 10 years I was a Christian, I kept trying to figure it out. I had a great brain. The Lord gave me a wonderful mind. I just kept processing information, studying, reading, sorting out the scripture. But I couldn't get it because I was trying to understand it by the carnal mind, by my natural thinking, by my human reasoning. And I won't get it because God is spirit and only the way we know him is by spirit. And in truth, thy word is truth. And that word only can be understood by the spirit revealing or making known to us what the word really says and means to us. So... So here we have uh, this scripture that was quoted in that sermon on the, on the day of Pentecost. And so Peter's preaching. And he, the, the scripture he refers to is Psalm 16, 8 through 10. So let me just go through it with you. Psalm 16, 8 through 10. He says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence, in your presence, in your presence is fullness of joy. Okay. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Now, this is an old covenant interpretation, so we have to move it forward into a new covenant perspective. But he's given us a glimpse, and Peter goes over it, and then Peter elaborates on it. And of course, from that point on, Paul expands on it uh, tremendously. But, uh, for you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. So we're not going to be stuck in the pit of death and despair. Um, Therefore, my heart is glad, and my my, my soul rejoices, my flesh also shall hope in you, 
I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Well, we would say, no longer at my right hand, but praise God, because he indwells me, because his presence is in me, permanent resident in my life, I'm not going to be moved because of his presence. Now, we do at times get moved. We get shaken and troubled and disturbed and this and that. But that's when we're losing sight of his presence and not living from the solid rock of that sure foundation, which is Christ, our life. But when we're not living out of Christ as our life and we operate in the energy of our flesh, we're going to be shaken. We're going to fall. We're going to fail. We're going to be in fear and anguish and pain and worry and all the stuff of the range of human emotion. It's going, to, it's going to just flood us and devastate us. But when we're living out of the fullness of His presence, well, that's a different story. Because then we can be like Paul and say, none of these things move me. Paul had all kind of stuff happening to him, but he said, none of it moves me. I'm not shaken by any of this. I'm not disturbed by any of this. I'm living from the presence of the Lord. And in His presence is a fullness of joy. So He says, I'm rejoicing at all times. I'm in the jail cell, but I'm rejoicing and worshiping because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And in His presence, there's fullness of joy. It's joy to overflowing. I don't have to work it up. I don't have to sing it up. I don't have to pray it down. It's just there. When you're living out of the fullness of His presence, the joy of the Lord is permeating your being. And it spills over on other people without you even knowing it. So one day I was coming out of a, of a conference. I had gone there to meet some people, and I don't know what. But anyway, it was this gathering in, in, in Atlanta. And I was, just, I was just kind of walking along the sidewalk. Uh, and there was a lady came past me, and she stopped, and she said, Wait. And she said, I just saw the Lord in your eyes. I just sensed the love of God when you looked at me and smiled at me. She said, thank you. I wasn't trying to do anything. But when you're walking in the fullness of his presence, he exudes out of you, spills over onto others around you. And they see the glory of the Lord in your life. The glory, let's go back to manifest presence. The glory is the manifest presence and power of the Lord. So they sense the Lord. God is glorified. How? Because I'm letting Christ be himself in me. I'm letting the Spirit fill me, spirit, soul, and body. I'm letting the Spirit of God just work through my mind, will, and emotions and have his way with me. And the end result, of course, is what Christ does pleases the Father. What Christ does glorifies the Father, and Christ at work in and through me by the Spirit brings glory to the Father, whatever it is. Whether it's cleaning up the paint mess that I made, you know, or, or whether it's going over to talk to this guy across the way about the Lord and give him one of my things to read. It's just God at work. And we can separate spiritual from secular because by the Spirit all things become spiritual in whatever secular realm you might be in, in whatever secular thing you might be engaged with, the Lord is at work. So, to understand this, going back to the idea of flesh and spirit and presence, first... uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29. So, in, in summarizing 
the Lord and his life in us, Paul says, so that no flesh will glory in his presence. See, our flesh cannot glorify God, and we can't glory in anything that we achieve and accomplish by the flesh because it's null and void. First of all, it may, might be we build a great building, but it's just a building. Here today and gone tomorrow. It might be that we achieve a lot of good things and make a lot of money, and those are nice things, and it's good to be able to say you did those things. But in the end, what did it do for you? See, I counsel people all the time, and no matter how much they've achieved and how much they've acquired, it doesn't meet their needs. They're not fulfilled inside. They're not satisfied inside. There's longing inside. There's dissatisfaction. They're disgruntled. They, they run around their wife or husband. They, they, they're always out there trying to make something else happen. And then when it doesn't, then they just crumble and, and fall apart. And it's like, but there's contentment in the Lord. There's peace and joy in the Lord's presence in you that allows you to go through life, whether you have or don't have, whether you do or don't do, really doesn't matter. Because what matters is what you already are in Him and what you already have because of Him. His life in you. His presence and power available to you. So, of course, no flesh can glory in His presence. But think of Jesus as He was kind of trying to bring this all together. In, in John four forty-eight. He told them, He said, Except you believe... Except you see signs and wonders, rather, you will not believe. He said, now wait a minute. You guys have made a predetermination as to what it's going to do, what's got to happen in order for you to feel like I'm doing something. And unless you see some big thing, some super awesome miracle, a sign or a wonder, you're not going to believe me. So all you really want is to see me do some stuff. But here's the tragedy of that. Let's say we see it, okay, and we see something amazing. I mean, like my, I took my son and his friends on a, on a college mission trip one time. It was part of a course they had to do, and, and so they went with me to the Philippines. So there's this young girl, about 15, and she has this huge goiter about the size of a lemon, and it's right in her throat, and they had been to the doctor several times, and they said, we can't do anything. We, we could cut it out, but they didn't have the money for that. And so she's suffering, and her thyroid's so messed up, and her body's shutting down, and, and so the mother brings the daughter to us. And so I brought the guys around, my son, his two friends, and I said, okay, we're just going to pray. And we're going to believe God. So I put my hand on her throat, and Lord, in the name of Jesus, we command that thyroid to shrink and be whole in Jesus' name. Pull my hand away, began to praise the Lord. And suddenly, my son and his friends looked, and it was gone. Now, a year later, I got a letter from that lady, and she said, she's had no problem since. When she went to a doctor for a checkup, he said, what happened? She said, Jesus did it. And there you go. <laughs> there you go. So we see, and of course, we're motivated to believe. Let's, let's look at the first miracle that Jesus did. You probably remember this, but um, the Gospel of John. John chapter 2. And Jesus went with his mother. This is kind of a nice story, a son and daughter story. So Jesus went with his mother, but some of his disciples who were with him at the time, they had already gathered a few around, they followed too. And they went uh, to, by invitation to a wedding. So there they are at the wedding, and um, 
that ran out of wine. Let's don't get bogged down on wine or whether we should or shouldn't drink. Forget about that. They ran out of wine. Now wine was a significant part and the main beverage of choice at weddings evidently at that time. So they liked it and, and, it was, uh, and this was a party so they're celebrating. Okay, this is a great moment. But they ran out. Now the word went down and Jesus' mother Mary, she heard about this. So she said to Jesus, hey, they're out of wine. It's all gone. And Jesus is going like, what? I didn't come here to... But then again, remember what I... About the car? So Jesus told his mother, now, my time's not yet come. This is not what I'm doing yet. But then again, the Spirit of God, Jesus said, I always do what pleases the Father. I only do what I see the Father do and hear the Father say. So the next thing we know, Jesus is doing what? He's telling them, bring some containers of water. The servants bring the water. And Jesus says, okay, now just take them. No fanfare, no, no big thing, no all hoopla. He just bring the water, take the water, serve the water. Now these servants just did what they were told. And as they by faith moved forward, not even knowing how to trust God probably, but just did what they were told to do. And in the end, the best wine ever was served at the wedding. You go, well, what, what's the, what the heck? What's going on here? And then you know how, how it reports this? Let's look there. Verse, um, verse 11. John 2, 11. The beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Wow. The manifest presence of God right there at a wedding in the most ordinary circumstance in an absolutely unnecessary event. Not life earth shaking, not life or death. It just was a nice thing to do for his mom at the wedding of one of their friends. And he did it. You see, we say God is a God of detail. He is. And he cares about the details of your life. Even to give you something nice, a special treat, like a really nice thing, the best wine ever served. Wow. Because that's the nature of our daddy God. And when daddy God put on the heart of the son of God, the Lord Jesus, that this was an okay thing to do for some of his kids. Jesus just, easy enough. And without having to say a word, just giving the command and them obeying, it happened. Follow his lead, and when the Spirit leads you, his work will be manifest in and through you. And then God will do some things. And then God will do some things. So we, we fast forward over to, uh, to, to John 11, and we have now a critical moment in a family that was very near and dear to the Lord Jesus. So we have here Lazarus. And he's now died. And Jesus didn't get there. In fact, Jesus intentionally slowed down and delayed his arrival until he had already died. So then he shows up and Mary's so put out with Jesus, she won't even come to the party. I mean, to her, this is not a party. But Jesus knows we're about to celebrate. But they don't get it. All they can see is Jesus didn't come and we needed him most. And, you know, and that's how we tend to get 
If he doesn't do something we want the way we want it in our timetable, we get all disappointed in God. And the next thing you know, we pull back and we just say, well, we're done with that. You know, forget that. And, and I've known so many as you have. And perhaps you've been there before at times. And I'm sure I've had my moments. But... Martha, who was the doubter, <laughs> she comes to Jesus. Wow. And she's into this now. I mean, she's here because she knows he can do anything. And so they have a little conversation about him and how he's the resurrection and the life. And she says, oh, yeah, sure, I believe. I believe that. But if you'd have been here, he would have been okay. Okay, now then, he says, well, come on, let's go check this out. So they go out there and they go to the tomb. And, and Martha pops up again. Now, wait a minute, Lord. Now, wait a minute. It's been four days. His body's already stinking. I mean, it's already in decay. This is a bad scene here. Are you sure you want to open that? <laughs> and the next thing you know, Jesus speaks in a word, Lazarus, come forth. And suddenly there he is. Now, what did Jesus tell Martha when she made that response? That's the key. That's the clincher. So, um, John 11, verse 40. Jesus said to Martha, Did I not say to you, did I not tell you, that if you believe, if you just trust me, you will do what? See the glory of God. You will see the manifest presence of God in your midst, in your life. Just trust me. What did he mean? See... And I think, well, wait a minute. He, he never said that. Then I went back and I started looking. And he said, well, I am the resurrection of the life. <laughs> and he said, he told her before it ever happened, he said, Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. And she thought he was talking about at the last, at the final resurrection. <laughs> but he says, no. And the fact he was going to be raised from the dead is the glory of God being manifest. And the Christ who lives in you by His Spirit is available to you. And He's saying, look, my presence is in you. And if you'll just believe, just trust me. You're going to start seeing the glory of God. You will start seeing the manifest presence of God in your life. And when you do, as you come together, you'll suddenly realize there's a corporate presence here. There's a manifest presence here. Suddenly God is at work here. And you will see the glory of God. You'll see and experience and walk in His presence and live out His presence and others will see Him in you. Others will hear Him through you and suddenly all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea because you're a portal of glory. You're just one great big torch set on a hilltop that cannot be hid. So Get the bushel basket off <laughs> and let that light shine. Let the presence of the Lord in you flow through you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your beautiful life, your marvelous plan. Lord, I, I'm amazed and in awe of the genius of your plan. Of course, we know you're the genius, but Lord, what we, we can't comprehend is just how precise the plan is. The minute details that you've addressed. You've certainly thought of everything, and you're certainly able to take care of anything. So, Lord, we, we reject all the human range of emotions of fear and anxiety, of doubt and unbelief. And we just say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, we embrace the reality of our spirit. 
which is one with you and in which your presence dwells. We are the dwelling place of God. Your spirit is resident. Our spirit, our heart is the holy of holies. It is the residing place of the holy God. And Lord, we just present our bodies to you as living sacrifices. We yield our members to you that you by the Spirit might take control of our mind and will and emotions and fill us that we might be full of the presence of the Lord in the outer man even as we have the presence of the Lord in his fullness in our inner man. Come forth, Lord Jesus. Make your presence known to me and through me that others might see Jesus in me and that you, Lord, will be glorified through me. Hallelujah. Amen.